Hello, and welcome back to The K-Hole. I'm Merit Kay. And joining me this week is writer, artist, uh, 'er ne'er-do-well. I'm going to go ahead and just say that. Um, Yeah, I mean, so many things. Multi-hyphenate. It's the one and only Chips Darsky, or Chip Zdarsky, as it was rendered (laughs) in a recent comic. Whenever anyone describes me as, you know, doing all sorts of different things, the, the hyphenate, I'm, I just, my mind immediately goes to, what kind of a hole in his life is he trying to fill? <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta keep busy, right? That's true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the theme of my life. Like if I stop being busy, I'll get sad. And I know that. So you just, yeah. I just keep going. Yeah. And you know what? Um, there are worse things to do than being a prolific uh, artist and author. You could just be playing a lot of video games, or or I could be a murderer, or he could be a murderer. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you could be the a time. secret murderer. It's um, true. I, Where would I get the time? That's true. That's I mean, what you want to watch out for is the quiet people who who don't yeah. seem to have many hobbies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's funny you you mention that you could be a murderer because I was reading about some of your uh your history and um yeah you know i like to do my research uh, (laughs) i don't know we've we've known each other a little bit for a few years Mm -hmm. but um i i found a quote where you were talking about your alter ego Mm. and uh you said that you wanted to have a sad sack cartoonist persona that lives in your mom's basement paints figurines for money has restraining orders against him and uh, that character is an idiot who doesn't know what he's doing, who's had no success in his life. No matter what, he's going to mess things up. And um, that was really interesting to me that you, because I know that when you started doing comics, you started using this different name. Um, and now that is sort of your main thing, right? Yeah. So would you say that you have become this person? Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. So I, I came up with the name and kind of the persona uh, in my college days because I was doing a, uh, a comic strip uh, for the university newspaper that I worked at. But uh, I was also doing stuff for like national newspapers in Canada. And uh, my editor uh, would get really upset when I would do anything that would uh, disparage or bring shame to the national newspaper. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to come up with a, an alternate name to do comic strips. And uh, after I did that, I, uh, I ended up interviewing myself for the paper. Like my real name is Steve Murray. So it was like Steve Murray interviews this Chip wow. Zdarsky guy. And so I created this like weird backstory for Chip Zdarsky in that moment. Um, and, uh, and, and it was just going to be that one-off. Like I did the interview, I did the strip and that was it. But once I started kind of collecting them and self-publishing them and doing comic conventions, I would just go to the conventions as the character. Like I had like fake uh, eyeglasses and a cowboy hat and like a cowboy shirt. And uh, I would just be kind of wild and uh, uh, rambunctious and uh, aggressively trying to sell my comics to people. Uh, And it it followed on the heels of a a divorce. And uh, my therapist uh, who came about later uh, uh, loves this. She loves the fact that I actually developed a whole other alter ego complete with different name uh, 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 right after a, a divorce. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I it was weird because I, I started to become the character in like 2002, 2003, around that period. Because um, uh, it would just be these weekend conventions. I go to a convention, I could just be somebody else. And uh, it was super liberating. And uh, But then, yeah, of course, when when the career started taking off, I'm just like, oh, I can't. I can't be this guy full time like that. That'll kill me. And then, you know, I end up in, in uh, uh, my, my current relationship um, and uh, being that character all the time just didn't make any sense anymore. So there's even a change. Like when I give interviews, like there's even a change in um, how I answer questions. Like it used to all just be jokes and I would just play into this character. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm seriously talking about like social issues and uh, my real life and, 
uh, yeah, it's, it's very strange. I, have, I still have a disconnect. Like if I go to a comic convention, I don't respond to my real name. Mm. Like I just, like my brother joined me for San Diego one year as a guest and he tried to get my attention. He just kept saying Steve over and over again. And my head just never moved like from sketching for someone. As soon as he said chip, I looked up. Like it's, it's, it's a weird thing. <laughs> I know that was a long answer to your question. <laughs> I think that's, Really fascinating, though, because something that's come up on the show before is uh, the way that social life has changed on and been changed by the internet. Mm -hmm. And the internet used to be somewhere where you could be whoever you wanted, pretty much. Um, And who you were could be radically different from space to space. And uh, so much of that has, has changed now with this yeah. emphasis on creating a brand and on being, yeah. uh, being consistent. And uh, I think there is something to be said for cultivating personas. I think about someone like David Bowie, who was famous for doing this and um, mm-hmm. for just refusing the idea that you have to be a consistent person. That's sort of, I mean, that predates the internet too, right? I think that's sort of a general commandment of a, of basic upbringing is you yeah. have to, you know, um, be, be the same person you are all the time. And of course nobody is, uh, but there's something liberating about realizing that and kind of leaning into it. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, I think most people have that when they hang out with their friends and then they have a separate group of friends where they act different. And then they have family where they act different. And when those groups meet, like your brain kind of short circuits, you don't know how to act. And, and I think that's the kind of thing that I would have uh, with the Chip Starsky stuff, uh, for sure. And, and I don't know, you, you probably have this too, where you like, um, you'll follow somebody online and they'll just have this like very specific um, sound and uh, personality. And then you meet them in real life. And you're like, oh, you're not that at all. Like, that's so weird. Because you, you build this thing based on the online persona in your head. And yeah. then when you meet in real life, you either like don't get along, which is always weird where you're like, this is someone I've talked to like almost every day for like five years online. And then you meet and you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. Like you were really good at crafting that, but you're, you, you don't have the ability to do that in person. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's more than often the case because that's why so many of us spend so much time online <laughs> is because we're kind of, we're avoiding right. the, the real world interactions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which of course has become easier than ever mm-hmm. lately yeah. um there's, so there's, I, a th- there's the thing too with the, the you know the, the personality the cult of personality like yeah um so many of us learned it from warren ellis mm-hmm. and uh which you know in hindsight how horrible right <laughs> that's that's that was our takeaway um but we watched him craft this persona which was like you know we all kind of thought was a joke but then turned out to not be a joke because you just yeah you, you just get you get sucked in you're like oh that's how you do this that's how you be online that's how you build a career or whatever or make friends like you lean into this element you have online and you and you enhance it so you're almost a caricature of yourself um and a lot of us watch warren do that and Right. You know, kind of fell for it in the early 2000s. And uh, and the, the danger is when you start to believe it, which is, you know, clearly, you know, he had other things going on there. Um, so you always have to kind of make sure that no matter what persona you're putting out there online, you have to, you have to keep it in check. You have to like keep it in check with your real world um, or a, a section of online friends who you, you trust more. Um, to, you know, let down the, uh, the persona shields or whatever. Right, right. I wonder, because I know this is something that a lot of artists do, that um, a lot of artists and performers and, and people who are in the public eye, by necessity, sometimes cultivate this kind of identity. But it's funny you bring up Warren Ellis, because how much, like, how much of this do you think is tied to the fact that, you know, the kinds of comics that, that you and um, other people 
work on and have worked on for like the last few decades are about superheroes who like the, the whole like primary thing about superheroes is having this alter ego. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, you can transpose so much onto that. Like I remember um, chatting with uh, Anthony Oliveira. You know, Anthony? I do. Um, he's great. And uh, he talked once about how Spider-Man to him was just a total allegory for being a gay youth. And his thing was, you know, he's a, he's this uh, young boy, you know, in his teen years living with his elderly aunt and she must never know his secret or she'll die. Mm. He goes out at night dressed in this skin tight costume. And like, he had this whole thing about that. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Like that's, that's an interesting huh. into that character. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. Like, they're, they're power fantasies, right? Like most, most comic authors um, had lousy childhoods or were bullied mm. and they turned to these comics in order to kind of have the imaginary feeling of power. Um, and uh, and it, it plays through in a lot of those writers today like that haven't dealt with their issues. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I was I was once told like I, so you know I've been doing a lot of work for Marvel and um, one of the things working for Marvel if you eventually get on contract with them, um, you kind of you move up a bit and you get invited to their Marvel retreats, which are these you know three four day sessions where you're in a room with like fifty people, and all the contract writers are there and vice presidents and everyone, um, where you discuss story. And I remember talking to my lawyer at the time like, oh, should I do this? Like, should I? I signed this contract and go to these things. I'm like, what are they like? And she said, um, what were you like in high school? Because that's what you'll be in that room. Because everyone in that room turns into who they were in high school. And a lot of it is about having something to prove. And I was like, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that was interesting. And then, so I went and like, sure enough, you can see it. Like everyone's kind of, everyone kind of reverts back to, uh, when they started reading comics and when they started like developing these these fantasies about these alternate egos that could you know stand tall and proud and like you know fight back against the bullies of the world um, but they'll think that maybe this guy in the corner of the room is the bully and this is their time to shine like it is there's a lot of weird dynamics that happen as a result of that it just never goes away I think something that a lot of people have remarked on in the last decade or so is how for people who, who grew up feeling victimized often like domain knowledge of, of comics or something similar can, can be like this kind of competency that can be used to sort of like lord over other people. Like you, you create like a new hierarchy, right? Which isn't, uh, structured around like like athleticism or or coolness yeah. in the traditional kind of high school sense but around like being able to to keep track of all of these different like symbols and characters yeah and your ability to do that better than someone else like uh is evidence of your superiority over them yeah yeah even though it's a totally secret thing Right, like, you know, right. the bullies I had in school, like, it's not like I ever come up to them like, well, you don't actually know the power ranking of Galactus, so guess who wins? Yeah, what's Galactus's energy projection? <laughs> oh, the classic energy projection. I, used, I had those cards growing up. Yeah, oh yeah, they were great. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only really had like one or two friends that were into comics when I was a kid. Remember, I had like one really good friend who was into comics who... Uh, moved away at the end of like my first year of high school and that just killed me oh. and I'm like now I've got nothing yeah now I'm the tiniest guy in school 
and I'm just on my own. Like, there's no one I can talk to about this stuff, which is, you know, super depressing. Yeah, I um, I wasn't really like into comics, but like my sister and I would watch. Like, we grew up in that period of time when, um, like the X Men cartoon was on mm, TV, yeah. uh, and like the Spider Man '90s cartoon and things like that. So there was it was sort of the first wave of like, or maybe like the predecessor of what we have today, where like you could be aware of this stuff without actually reading the comics. And mm-hmm. we would occasionally just get random issues from like parents or like other people. Um, I remember just getting a, a box of comics about characters that like, I feel like they must've just been like the weirdest, like non-Marvel, non-DC stuff. Um, and just having no context for anything that was happening and just trying to piece together some kind of narrative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a very different experience from just like trying to keep up with with a book, which um, I've done once or twice in my life, but uh, mostly my knowledge of this stuff now is just comes from like hearing other people telling me about it. Um, or like every like a year or two, I'll just fall into a hole on Wikipedia and read about um, what Spider-Man's up to lately. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, obviously the internet changed a lot of things for a lot of people, but that was huge. Like, cause when I was a kid, you know, I'd pick up an issue of Spider-Man and I'd be like, I have no idea what's happened before this, you know, <laughs> right, um, right. but that was, that was part of the joy of it. Like to get into something yeah. where you, you have to be a bit of a detective. You have to kind of piece it together. Mm. And when you do piece a, a bit of it together, it's such a victory, like whether hunting down an old issue or actually just figuring it out. Oh, they keep, Spider-Man keeps looking at this bridge and he's sad. I wonder what's, what's up that with that. About? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then when you figure it out, it's like, Oh, okay. Now I, You've unlocked another level of knowing the character. Um, but yeah, the internet just made it so much easier. Uh, I, I I don't know, if the internet didn't exist right now, I don't know how people would be able to write the comics either. Like at least back in the day, like you'd only have to keep track of like, you know, 10 years of continuity, 20 years maybe. Right. But now it's just, it's impossible. It's impossible to, unless you're uh, somebody who has just read everything throughout all the years, um, to keep track of the characters and, and what has happened to them and what hasn't happened to them is, uh, yeah, without fans kind of updating wiki pages, I don't know how anyone would write a comment. <laughs> right. I, I truly don't know how people write ongoing series uh, in 2021. I mean, I think it's one thing to, you know, if, if you're asked to write like a one shot of a character, then, you know, there's some maybe a bit more freedom there, but like to know, like, okay. Um, well, for a while, Spider-Man was Dr. Octopus. So his <laughs> consciousness was buried in his body. Uh, and so he influenced Dr. Octopus to be the superior Spider-Man. And then later on, you know, that, that changed. And, and it's just like, yeah. I don't, I don't know, like that, that's a whole, it seems like that's become a whole other layer to this job of like yeah. navigating this stuff. And I imagine that like, like I want, I'm I'm curious about this actually. Like when you're working on this kind of thing, do you have people like say at Marvel who are like, well, here you you did this, but this contradict. Like, do you have fact checkers for canon? Um, there are different layers. There's one guy at Marvel who's been there since the '90s, uh, Tom Brevoort. He's like the uh, the editor, kind of yeah, who knows everything mm. um like he collects the books like whenever he posts a picture of his home and you see like the comic room and it's just like like 50 long boxes of comics and then all the collections like he just he lives and breathes it and he knows everything there is about the characters so uh yeah sometimes the main et- the main editor on your book will not and uh uh but tom reads everything and he'll be the one that'll be like, mm, actually, this doesn't work because of this. Um, but he's also, he's, he's done the job for so long. He also knows when to ignore that mm. continuity, which is super important. And that's the one thing I've, I've had to learn, which is everything's been done, you know, um, right. to, to every character. Like, you know, I often say, I, I often say, like, I'm having conversations with people. <laughs> <laughs> I often say that... Um, Every supporting character in Spider-Man um, should be dead 
or um, uh, in uh, a mental institution or something like <laughs> the, the, the Marvel version of Arkham because everything's happened to them. If, right. If, like, all the characters have died, come back, their loved ones have died, returned, died again, become supervillains, superheroes, like committed <laughs> atrocities. Like there's so much there, but you still have to be able to have them walk down the street with a cup of coffee, talking to Peter Parker and going, Hey Pete, what's going on today? <laughs> like you have to. Like yeah, unless you have no yeah. comic. Right. Uh, you know, I, I I often just talk to Marvel just about the idea of, you know, just pressing play on the clock and being like, let's just run these characters out. Let's just have, like, starting now, they're just going to get older. Mm. We'll tell all their stories. If they die, they don't come back. And then you, we'll just bring in new characters. Because it, it, it does get ridiculous after a while. Right. To piece, to piece together the history of a character. And to catch the reader up on it, too. So you have to kind of choose what to ignore. And recognize that these stories have been done before. Like, like in, in doing, like, I'm writing Daredevil right now. And that character has been beaten down, hit rock bottom, and come back so many times. Right. And it's such a classic Daredevil story. It's like, yeah, okay, like I'm going to do that story. And you just have to kind of find the way in that hasn't been done before, but also have like make it so emotionally he's recovered from all those previous ones. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he doesn't go, oh, this again. Not again. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, there's got to be some sort of like short-term emotional memory thing happening there for the characters right. or else they, they don't exist. Yeah, it seems like that's the major challenge, right? Is mm-hmm. like creating, telling these stories where like there is emotional impact while acknowledging that these are characters who, you know, have been to other dimensions and have turned into monsters and have done all these things millions yeah. of times. And, uh, yeah. and yet you still have to have pathos. And, and I think probably part of that is just suspension of disbelief and just, you know, willingness to, to follow these characters because people love them. But, uh, it seems like that's a really difficult thing to balance. It is. And like kind of the, the biggest obstacle to overcome is the individual readers entry point into the comics, mm. because um, the, I can, I can usually tell based on the complaint <laughs> of something I've written, right. how old the, the complainer is because I can, I can, I can be like, Oh, you were reading these comics uh, in the early 90s so for you spider-man and mary jane watson is is a huge thing for you like they were married she's a supermodel he's peter parker is you and you married a supermodel and you're angry that they're not together It's hard because ultimately, like any kind of writing job, like you have to write it for yourself. You know, everyone knows that. Yeah. But um, you also don't want to get fired. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, how much is it for myself? How much of it is because, oh, I know the fans are going to like, you know, when Stilt Man shows up. I mean, all of the fans will like when Stilt Man shows up. But I mean, it's everyone kind of loves a, Stilt Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rhetorical, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. It's funny how. This is one of those, I mean, it's like Star Wars, right? It's one of these these things that's been around for so long that you have these people of vastly different experiences mm-hmm. and ages who are all kind of into it simultaneously. And if you're on the end of making that stuff, you have to balance all those things. And like, I think it would probably surprise some people who are, uh, who got into Marvel primarily through the movies that the, the old saying about who gets to, uh, who stays dead used to be, Nobody stays dead except Bucky and Uncle Ben. Because yep. Bucky's been back for, you know, 15, 15 20 years at this point uh, yeah. and has been a huge part of the Marvel movies ever since Winter Soldier. And now it's basically just Uncle Ben. Um, yeah. Well, that was part of, not to get too deep into it, but that was part of the um, Jonathan Hickman's pitch when he brought back the X-Men line. Um, because the, the heart of that is that they can't die. The mutants right. can't die. Like they just they come back, they come back. Um, and you know, when he pitched that to everyone, that was his argument. He was like, like, let's just lean into this. Like we've already told everyone that, you know, oh, this character is totally dead. 
uh, and we're proven liars because they mm-hmm. come back in three years, four years, whatever. So let's just say, hey, they'll die and they'll come back. Like the next issue. Like that's what we're promising you here. Uh, which I thought was a, a kind of a fascinating way to kind of counter that from happening. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, from death, I kind of want to pivot to another subject, which uh, I think aside from your work on, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil and, and uh, superhero comics, the, the other subject you are best known for is writing about sex, which, you know, death and sex and get taxes in there too, maybe. Um, but I'm curious about what that's like um, because do you, have you ever read any of Wallace Shawn's writing? No. Uh, he. I mean, I, I've, I've read essays. Yeah, yeah, no, his essays. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's great. I, it's great stuff. And he has he yeah. has an essay in one of his books about writing about sex. And basically, he says like, you know, a lot of people who who like who've liked my work as a writer, who or people who have cared about me, uh, have basically hinted that you know, I'm, that my obsession with sex has harmed or ruined my writing uh, and, and thought of it as kind of like a pitiful adolescent obsession that has besmirched what could have been like a, you know, a great body of work. <laughs> um, and his thing is that writing about sex is, um, is a way of, of getting people to, to see themselves as animals and as part of nature that, you know, they aren't, that people aren't separate yeah. from that reality. So I'm curious, like, has that ever been like a, a conflict for you with, you know, you're writing superhero stuff and then you're doing uh, like sex criminals and things like that. Like, do you, do you get a backlash? Do you feel like some kind of uh, tension doing those things? Well, first of all, I just want to point out like a, a great body of work sounds sexual to <laughs> <laughs> like even that phrase is like yeah great yeah body of work, yeah you know? like a body of work you want to lay down and kiss <laughs> all over <laughs> um you know with, with, with sex criminals like i kind of have it a bit easier because um uh matt fraction is the writer on it right um, um so i have to depict the sex and you know some of the story comes from me too because it it all evolved around our discussions about sex and um uh, talking about our own sexual histories to each other. And I'm super lucky in the sense that sex criminals came before the superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it would be weird to do it in the reverse. I think um, like Matt ended up writing sex criminals to get away from the superhero stuff. Cause he, he'd had an right. arc. He was doing the Hawkeye. Well, the funny thing was is that like, he was after? doing, he had, like, I've known Matt online, you know, talking about personas before, um, for 20 years. Like, oh, wow. early day message boards. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we kind of instantly saw that we were, you know, like-minded people. And uh, we always got along. And I got to watch his career. Like, I was working in newspapers, and I got to, like, see Matt do his independent books. And then uh, start doing, like, smaller jobs at Marvel. And then bigger jobs, and bigger and bigger. until. He was doing like their event books and uh, that's when it came crashing down. Like you can only kind of go so far at Marvel before like uh, fans turn on you. Right. Uh, you get uh, caught up in things that, you know, aren't of your doing. And, and he was really frustrated and he was going to be leaving Marvel and um, like two things happened. Like Marvel gave him Hawkeye, mm-hmm. which is like a joke. Like, right. here you go. Here you go. Matt. Here's Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah. Like at the time that was like, yeah, you know, yeah, that was almost punishment. Right. It's like not a big character at the time. Right. No, not at all. He was the, yeah. The Avenger that shot uh, a bow and arrow. Yeah. The green arrow of Marvel. And then Matt turned it into like their best selling book of the year. Like those right. the collections did amazing. It's it such a great run. Um, and simultaneously, he was doing sex criminals with me as kind of his like anti-superhero book. Like, like, all right, I'm just going to do a whole thing on sex and we're just going to do whatever we want. It's going to get canceled. And, um, and I was along for the ride. And, um, so then, yeah, then it, it takes off and all of a sudden there's this weird spotlight on us. 
uh, like globally, like like we're mm. flying around the world <laughs> promoting <laughs> this book and it's being translated everywhere and uh, um, and uh, and it, it's it's a super touching thing because when we when you meet fans of sex criminals, like they're um, they're usually young women, really sweet that like. Um, the book means something to them and they, you know, they, they want to tell you their stories and, um, you know, you get to watch kind of like people meeting through the book. You know, I was there for like a proposal where it was two, uh, two people dressed as our main characters doing oh, the wow. wedding proposal. And there have been other couples getting married because of the book. Like it's, it's such a treat, like such a treat. And, um, so when I end up going to do the superhero stuff, uh, it's not like I could, I was ever going to be like, oh no, like I'm worried they're going to think I'm the sex guy. It's just like, I am the sex guy. It's great. Like, <laughs> this is great. Like I'll never have a book bigger or better than this. And I, I knew it at the time and I still believe it. And so the superhero stuff was just like, it was kind of just like gravy. And uh, my first book for Marvel was Howard the Duck, which, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like the, the Hawkeye of animals. Like, you know, yeah, no, can nobody we talk necessarily about wants Howard to the write Duck? it. Because, oh yeah, we can always um, talk about Howard the Duck. So I don't know a lot about this character, but I did see the movie when I was a child, mm, yes. and um, it scared and confused me. <laughs> like erotically? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's I get a lot it. going on there. Um, and so, like, what is what is that character all about to you? Um, it's all about the creator, Steve Gerber. Mm. Yeah, like Howard the Duck was created in this this weird kind of vacuum at Marvel in the seventies, um, where uh, the writer just did whatever he wanted, and it worked, and it sold well. And there was like a newspaper strip, and there was like Howard the Duck ran for president. Like it was it was a big deal when he was doing it, but it was him. Like mm. any kind of account of Steve Gerber, you can tell that. He was kind of like taking satirical swipes at pop culture through Howard the Duck. And Howard the Duck was a very angry character. So like every issue it would be something else that he would lampoon, whether it'd be like kind of like the Kung Fu movies of the seventies or star Wars or whatever. Like, um, uh, it was, it was purely Steve Gerber and, uh, that all fell apart. Like, I think he had like this weird sleep apnea thing where he couldn't like couldn't do the work and everything was late and stuff. And he eventually got fired from the character he created, which is, you know, horrible. And somebody else stepped in and started writing it and they, they weren't, they weren't as good. And, uh, um, so the character kind of would come back once in a while, like Gerber would come back and do some stuff and Gerber passed away and the character just kind of stopped existing really. And, uh, so when they offered it to me, um, like I wouldn't have taken it if Gerber was still alive. Right. I don't believe in ghosts, so I don't believe he's going to haunt me, but, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, a concern. Um, so I had to kind of like change the character enough to make it feel like its own thing and not just me trying to copy uh, the original creator. Like usually with Marvel and DC stuff, it's a little cut and dry. Like, right. you know, Spider-Man is like, yeah, Stan Lee created it with Steve Ditko, but then there was Stan Lee and John Romita and then Stan Lee and Gil Kane and Jerry Collins. Like, there's so much overlap between artists and writers and right. everyone brings their own thing to the character that eventually the character is just kind of like created by everyone, you know, uh, co-created by everyone anyways, that touches it. But with Howard, it felt like Steve Gerber. So I had to, I toned down his anger and made him a bit more sad because um, that's more along the lines of who I am. Cause if Steve Gerber was kind of writing himself, I wanted to kind of write myself a little bit. Um, and if you're satirizing pop culture in the modern day, um, it's Marvel. Like right. that's the weird thing, right? Yeah. So, so I think my pitch was basically like, yeah, like we're going to load this up with like all these like Marvel characters and like how we're just going to look at them and be like, what the fuck? Like, why are you wearing that? <laughs> you know, it's, it's that weird flip of this is a talking duck, but he's the normal guy. Like he's the, mm -hmm. he's the guy who's just like, you know, relatively dressed normally, you know, um, more of a, a common guy than like, say Peter Parker, 
where Tony Stark would be. So um, he was kind of the lens to see the rest of the Marvel Universe and poke fun at it. And it, it was a ton of fun. It was like, you know, I think myself and the writer or the uh, artist Joe Canonis, we were on it for 20 issues, told our story, then quit. And we're like, we're, we did it. We're done. This wow. is great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that book. It was a lot of fun. Would you say that some of the the character of, of Chip was sort of transmuted into Howard then? or Yeah, it would have to be. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, also partly because like it's my first Marvel job too, and it was a comedy book, so um, you kind of I kind of leaned heavily into the more early two thousands kind of uh, Chip character, I right. suppose. <laughs> Howard's <laughs> um, got a cowboy hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At one point, I think he did. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was just a lot of fun because I never thought in a million years I'd write a Marvel comic. And that came from me drawing a sex comic, which is also something I would never have predicted. Right. So, like, you know, issue one, I had Spider-Man, She-Hulk in there. By issue seven, I had Captain America, Iron Man. Like, anyone I could get into that comic just to say that I've written them once <laughs> because I figured that would be the only thing I did for Marvel. Um, I, I did it. Yeah, everyone comes in to celebrate Howard's birthday. Just yeah. all, all the video game characters and comic characters all come on like, in. Why not? Yeah, you got one. Like, my thought was, like, I've got one shot at this. I thought I'd be canceled after issue one. So right. I made sure Spider-Man showed up in issue one. <laughs> um, yeah, because, you know, that, that's part of the appeal. Like, yeah. checking off these weird boxes from when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Even even though ultimately it's a job. Like, that's the other thing. Sure. I think a lot of people get into this thinking, oh, it's going to be cool. I'm going to write Spider-Man. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I actually have to really work at this. <laughs> it's not just like writing the word thwip. that you are doing a manga show right now a mm. manga podcast or, or it, it's starting soon I yeah, think. yeah we um uh, we launched it last week and then yeah i haven't mentioned it in my newsletter it's gonna be this week but uh yeah we've been recording it for about seven or eight weeks now uh and i noticed on one of the tweets about that that one of the books that you're doing is helter skelter yes uh yes. Had, have you read that already or had you read that before? No, no, I haven't read any of these. So that was my first time reading it. Uh, because that's actually one of my favorite books. Um, and oh, probably no, my I, favorite yeah. manga. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, it was one of those books, you know, I'm spoiling the podcast, I guess, but who cares? Um, the first few pages, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like the, the art style, there's a kind of a weird. Um, it's odd. Yeah. It's it's like brutal meets fashion illustration. Yeah. And it wasn't quite jiving with me, but as I as I kept reading, I'm like, oh, this suits this perfectly. Perfectly. Like, you know, like the one character that gets kind of the most attention in in, in being drawn as the main character. And like, yeah, there are lo- there are a lot of really smart, subtle things that are happening in the art that uh it took me a bit to to get, but once I did, I was all in. And such a uh, you know it was such a brilliant cast of characters, uh, each reflecting the experience of being a woman and relation to beauty. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a staggering piece. Yeah. What I, what I love about Kyoko Okazaki's work, I mean, Helter Skelter. And then, uh, I don't know if you've read pink. No, no, this is the only one I've read. Okay. I think you would like pink as well, but, um, her her books use this like fairy tale structure um like in helter skelter it's all about you know this this almost like a spell that um that the character 
goes under this enchantment to like mm-hmm. become this like perfect image. Uh, but then it eventually starts to to break down and rot. And um, in pink, there's sort of a similar angle there. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's about these like, it's also about like these aliases and cultivating an image and like the behind the scenes stuff yeah. that I find really, like, I think there is like some kind of, like in ways the Jose genre, I think is, is kind of analogous to like Western superhero comics for, for girls, because like a lot of those comics are about women who have these alter egos as like uh, fashion models or rock stars or all these things. But then they have these like lives, like where they have these like everyday problems that are like outside of that persona. Right. Um, And that can't be solved by like, by their fame or their powers or whatever. They have to like, be dealt with like peter parker does yeah yeah and like the one character you know that has dealt with it and existed on the other side is mama you know the manager character who's and it's just horrible to know that because um she takes advantage of uh of that path yeah yeah it's 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 a great book um i've really enjoyed doing the podcast um you know, something born out of pandemic and mm. uh, um, it was just an excuse to kind of chat with friends. They were all friends I, I went to Japan with last year. And uh, I was the only one on that trip to Japan that knew almost nothing about anime or manga. Right. So we would go to the museums dedicated to characters. I think there's a whole museum dedicated to the creator of like Masked Raider. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going through and, like, and they're just like, they're all losing their minds. I'm like, all right, so it's a bug on a motorcycle. Okay, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> I'm here to learn. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea of the podcast came from that. And then we kind of, you know, pulled the trigger on it recently. It's just been great, like, giving me an excuse to kind of check in with friends once a week, which I rarely do. And um, uh, being able to learn about a thing that um, I should know, really, as a comic creator. But um, my manga past is very sparse. Um, and yeah, it's already kind of influenced my stuff. I'm just like, Oh man, like what a great way to do this. And what a great way to do that. Mm. Like, and especially with the idea of like kind of longer, more luxuriously told stories. Like, right. Um, yeah. I, I find it all really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think the, for anyone who's like interested in, in comic publication, just the, the comparisons between like the manga industry and the, the Western comics industry are, really fascinating i mean and they each have you know their own kind of struggles and and issues but like the ways that stories are presented and the ways that you know characters are are kept up um there's just like it's such like a different approach to those things Mm -hmm. yeah even just the idea of assistance i'm just like oh my god right what a great idea why did (laughs) i do that on sex criminals oh wait you don't have to do it all that yourself oh wow no yeah i want to go back to japan you know when that's at all possible just right. to uh kind of experience this with my friends again with a better understanding like you know i had i had a lunch with um with two of my friends and like this like famous manga editor who i had no idea who they are like just no idea it's <laughs> like they don't they don't speak english i don't speak japanese and we're just mostly just nodding at each other throughout the whole meal and uh for a brief second at the end of the meal, I, I thought he knew my work because um, <laughs> before we left, he went, um, he went, uh, Chip, uh, there is something I want to say to you. I'm like, oh my God, like, has he read Sex Criminals? Like, what's going on? He goes, you look like, hmm, how do I say this? You remind me of Jamiroquai. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> he posted a photo on his phone of Jamiroquai. And just shows me Jamiroquai, and he said, "You look like Jamiroquai," and that was it. That was my wow. whole interaction with like one of the world's greatest manga editors. To me, that is virtual insanity. <laughs> <laughs> You're correct. Um, so I want to go back and sit down for lunch with that manga editor again, and maybe somehow get past my appearance of being Jamiroquai. I've often Talk thought that about, about comics. You. Yeah. I I didn't until then, and now it's all I see.
yeah, manga, uh, manga explaining is the podcast, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, people should uh, should go check that out. And that is, uh, has that started airing again, or you've just recorded? Yeah, um, okay. we put out the we put out like kind of an episode zero and episode one last right. week, which was, episode one was Akira, and episode two comes out uh, tomorrow. So I don't know what day this airs, but um, uh, yeah, that will have been out for about a week once yeah. this goes up. So go check that out. Yeah, we're gonna, we're trying to do one a week. So. Um, yeah, check it out. Learn about manga along with me, a manga moron. Your friend, Jamiroquai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me guide you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I think that's as good a place as any to, to wrap. But um, <laughs> Perfect. I'm just contemplating, uh, contemplating Chip Jamiroquai Zdarsky. Uh, it's not good. It's not good. Not good. Don't, don't do that. Don't at Chip. And tell him, don't don't send Chip pictures of Jamiroquai, please. Um, uh, I, there is actually a really good uh, video where someone took the um, the the dance from the the music video for Virtual Insanity and replaced it with characters from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, like it's a fully illustrated little video, so I really recommend checking that out on the topic of manga and Jamiroquai. First, I gotta find out who Jojo Bizarre Adventure is. Well, if you're uh, looking into manga, then we'll get to it. You should, yeah, look into our friend uh, Hirohiko Araki because he's a fascinating character. Um, All right, he's a fascinating figure in the world of manga, and he's been doing this comic for decades at this point. So. Um, that's that's virtual insanity yeah <laughs> yeah i mean the trick is i think that he just whenever he gets tired of it he just turns it into something else um like he'll say oh it's about cowboys now um <laughs> still the same I do, thing I, it's about cowboys, i do though. yeah I, I, I like that i mean i like that about comics but like you know a novelist will um tend to just write one genre forever because that's how you build a catalog you know right you could be like daniel Steele or um you know stephen king and you know once in a while maybe you do something different but you always come back to your genre in comics you can kind of mess around and, and do a bunch of different stuff but manga it's like you dedicate yourself to like years and years of something mm-hmm. and then okay now i'm gonna do this genre like we just read um is it wave listen to me Mm. and it's about like you know a young woman and uh hokkaido and uh, uh a radio station and relationships and a restaurant i'm like oh this is really this is really fun really sweet and then you know one guy said yeah this is the guy who did blade of the immortal with the most graphic violent scenes i've ever witnessed in a comic and this wow. is his follow-up i'm like wow that's huh. great I, I love that comics like affords people the opportunity to, to just swerve. Yeah. Maybe that's because, well, at least I think in, in the U S comics is kind of seen as its own genre still. Mm-hmm. So, True. you know, within that you can basically do whatever, but yeah. Um, well, is there anything else that you'd like to tell people about? Nope. No. Paulo, you know, you know where <laughs> to find him folks. Yes. <laughs> I always, love this part in a, I always love this part in a podcast where it's like, hey, where can people find you online? I'm just like, no, just don't. Don't, don't find just Chip. Don't bother. Don't, don't bother. Not worth don't it. Don't find Chip. Don't, uh, don't tweet on him about how Daredevil isn't actually even a devil. Um, no. No, and, please uh, don't. Yeah, that's ch- at, at Zdarsky <laughs> is, uh, is where you can find him. Uh, well, thank you for for chatting. It's it's been a while. Um, mm-hmm. I think the last time we actually spoke in person was New York Comic Con. New York Comic Con a few years ago yes. for about five minutes. Yeah, um, if that. Yeah, I think because, I, like- because I because uh, I harassed you while you were drawing pictures of Jughead. <laughs> That's how it always goes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> well it's good to talk. Yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, please uh, come back next week for another episode of The Kindle. Bye.
The K-Hole is a fanbyte.com production, hosted by Merritt K and produced by Jordan Mallory. Follow Merritt on Twitter, at Merritt K. Follow Jordan on Twitter, at Jordan underscore Mallory. For more information on who you were in high school, go to fanbyte.com slash podcasts or podcastnet.org.